0: Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. You know, I'm going to read a couple of passages uh, from the Bible uh, concerning the, the birth of Christ, what we would call the Christmas story, and... There is, I've said this before, but when these events unfolded in Bethlehem and in Galilee and and so forth, these were ordinary days. There was nothing in the natural that that was special about the night Christ was born. There's nothing special about anything going on. Most people went about their business just unaware that anything significant had happened. But when we read the New Testament and we read what actually happened from God's perspective, there is a sense of awe. It is, let me see how I wrote this, it's nearly unexplainably transcendent. It just It just lifts uh, us into another place because we actually realize what was happening as these things were unfolding. Of course, the news got out, you know, and we're going to read about the shepherds and how they told others. And and, uh, and so people marveled at their story, but they could not grasp the significance of it. So go with me in your Bible to Luke chapter 2. And then we're going to go back over to Matthew chapter 2. But we'll start with Luke chapter 2. I'm not starting with, the, with the, the, uh, the part of the story that we usually start with. I'll get to it a little later. But in Matthew chapter 2, let's look at... Start in verse number 8. Luke 2 verse 8. Now... For there is born to you this day in the city of David a savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste, that means they ran, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they made made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now go with me over to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. And let's look at verse number 1. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. Now, I've been told that that star is appearing again. I don't know a whole lot about it, but somebody can fill me in, but uh, isn't that interesting? When Herod, then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him. Of course, he wasn't planning to come and worship him. When they heard the king, they departed. Behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. You know, when we, when we contemplate the birth of Christ, like we do at Christmas, the, the central idea that comes to our mind has to do with the fact that Jesus was God incarnate in the flesh. That it was God coming down and actually joining with humanity. And so let's turn over to Matthew chapter 1 and read these verses starting in verse number 18. and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife and did not know her till she had brought forth her firstborn son and they called his name Jesus. We all are completely Aware and not and have knowledge and understanding of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, how Jesus was conceived not by natural means, not by natural uh, uh, generation, but he was conceived in in the virgin's womb by the by the Holy Spirit. In fact, when the angel was talking to Mary, The angel said that thing, that holy thing which shall be conceived in you will be the son of God. And it's interesting that the angel said that holy thing because that set Jesus apart from every other baby that's ever been born. Because even though newborn babies are innocent before God, they're not accountable because they, know, they don't know right from wrong. You can't say they're holy. You cannot say they're holy because, they're, because the sin element is there in conception that's passed down from the father to the child. And so even though that child is not responsible for sin, that child is, has still been uh, born in sin. And you could not say that any baby is holy in that sense. But the angel said that holy one that will be born will be called the son of God. Now, the idea of the incarnation is uh, a primitive need and a primitive desire of man. All ancient peoples and religions, I I should say most uh, religions, have believed in some Uh, form of divine incarnation we're not always aware of it but if you study history and if you search this out you'll find out from the chinese to the polynesians to the inuits in in north america the what we would used to call the eskimos native americans uh they all had in their religious ceremonies the 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 idea of an incarnation of god joining with man and this is why kings and emperors take on the names of God and even call themselves God. Do You remember even in, in the days of the early church, the reason, the reason Christians were persecuted in the first century is because they called Jesus Lord and refused to call Caesar Lord. So kings and, and, and emperors and so forth take upon themselves the, the title of deity and people even believe they are God. I, I know for many years as a young man when I would study about, about World War II and the Japanese and how the Japanese people thought the emperor was God. They thought he was divine. And, and it, it would always, it would always bother me. I, I couldn't figure it out how could people believe that they, they had to know he was an ordinary man and yet they revered him as God. And I would think, yeah, that story is going to last just as long until he dies. Then what are they going to say? But I discovered that when these emperors died, that did not take away from the people's reverence of them as God because it was an incarnation. It was God united in a man. They knew he was a man. The Japanese knew he was an ordinary man, but they believed God inhabited him. So when he passed, they just looked for a new emperor that God would again inhabit. So this idea of God joining with man, inhabiting man, this union of God and man exists all over the world. Like I said, in primitive peoples and in most religions of antiquity. So it's nothing uh, that is unusual in that sense. The only problem with those uh, concepts of incarnation is none of those people could save. None of those so-called God-men had the ability to save anybody. They could not change a human heart. Even today, in more recent times in modern theology, even sometimes in the Christian church, particularly in the the non-saved part of the church, you hear a lot today from people just just people in the world secular people and there's this idea that in everybody there is a spark of divinity have you ever heard that that everybody has a little bit of god in them that is nothing more than a belief in incarnation it's exactly what that is the human heart longs for such a thing but of course Human history tells us otherwise, that there's not a spark of divinity in all people. And you can look at the history of our planet and of nations, but also of people. And it's just obviously not true. But the human heart longs for something like that. The problem with these ideas of incarnation is that there is no perfect union there can't be a union between God and human beings the way people believe they are, that God just inhabits people. That can't happen ordinarily. The way it happened in the birth of Christ, there had to be a supernatural conception. There had to be this perfect union of humanity and deity, and the only way it could come was the way it did come through this through this sinless uh, conception of Christ. Because you see, if if God had come down and just inhabited someone, there was no one God could inhabit who wasn't a slave to sin. There was not one person alive since Adam. Up until Christ came, there was not one person alive that was a suitable candidate for God to indwell. Because if God came down and somehow became uh, came in to, into union with a, with a person, God would have been submitted to the devil. Because every person, every human being was under the devil's thumb. Every human being was under the dominion of darkness. That's why God sent Jesus the way he did. And uh, let's, let's look over at uh, uh, Luke again. Go back over to Luke. Notice what was told to Mary. Luke 1 verse 26. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that holy one who is to be born will be called the son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your your relative has also received a son in her old age And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. It's uh, Go with me for a little background to Leviticus chapter 17. Leviticus chapter 17. It's an interesting passage here that is really fundamental to all of this. Leviticus seventeen. And let's start in verse, well, just to pick it up, uh, let's start in verse number 10. And whatever man of the house of Israel or of the strangers who dwell among you who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. Verse number 11, for the life of the flesh is in the blood. And I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls for it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. Some translations read this way. It's the blood that makes atonement by reason of the soul. Another one says by reason of the soul in the blood. We don't fully understand this, but somehow the blood of man is associated with that sinful nature. And so this is why he said here that the blood would make atonement for the soul because of the soul in the blood, because of the connection between the inner man and the outer man. This is why... uh, Jesus could not be born of an earthly father. If Jesus had been conceived of an earthly father, he would have had the blood of the father in him. Now, I'm I'm not a medical person and I don't know all of the, the ins and outs of this, but I do know this, that the female egg before it's fertilized doesn't have any blood in it. It's not until the the egg is fertilized with the male sperm that as it begins to develop, that blood begins to show up. And so the the idea, though it can't be proven by science, but the Bible seems to show this, is that is that the spiritual nature of man is somehow connected with the blood and the and the and that because of the, the blood comes from the Father, then that blood brings in that sin nature. And so everyone who's born, male or female, inherits the sin nature in their flesh from their parents. Now, their spirit comes from God. So the, the, the spirit is perfect and holy, but the child that's born in the flesh is not because of that sin nature. And so that's the, that's the wonder of the entire idea of a virgin birth. Now go with me over to Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah chapter 7. And let's look at verse 13 and 14. And this is where uh, the angel was quoting from when he spoke to, to Joseph. Let's start in verse number 13. Then he said, Hear now, O house of Judah, Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a child, a son rather, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Notice that... The margin of my, of, well, is in my Bible, probably your Bible says the thing. The word Emmanuel literally means, in the Hebrew, that word literally means God with us. And it was, this was the sign that a virgin would conceive. That was, that was a tremendous sign from God because obviously virgins can't conceive. And here you had, a virgin with child, who, a virgin who had never had relations with, with a man before. And yet she has a child growing inside of her. What a tremendous sign. Go with me over to uh, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. I know I'm giving you a lot of scriptures this morning, but I'm going to tie it together. F- Philippians chapter 2, verse number 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery or a thing to be clinged and held on to, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, and became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. We know from the scripture that Jesus was the eternal Son of God. In fact, let's just look at at one passage. Look at John chapter 1, passage most people are very familiar with. John chapter 1. And let's look at the first verse. In the beginning was the Word. The Word there is literally in the Greek, the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Now notice, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it. It goes on to say that in verse 11, he came to his own and his own did not receive him. When you read the history of, that's contained in the gospels of the life of the lord jesus christ and of the the opposition he faced from his own people you sometimes scratch your head and you say why in the world was there this much hatred from the from the leaders of israel what we don't realize is that at the time when Christ was born, Israel had a form of godliness, but they denied the power. Israel was as corrupt in the days that Jesus came and was, and was uh, uh, birthed in Bethlehem. Israel as a nation and the Jewish people were as, as corrupt as they had ever been in any stage of their history. You think about the times when they were bowing down and and worshiping Baal and offering their children in sacrifice to false gods. They were every bit as corrupted in the days in which Jesus came as they were in those days, but they had a form, an outward form of religion. That's that should be a warning to everybody. That you can you can you can see people that Appear to serve God, they go to church, they go through the motions, but that's not the same thing as having a heart relationship with Him. It's not the same thing as loving God. So we need to always be careful to make sure that our that our church services and our worship, like like uh, uh, somebody was saying this morning, one of them I don't remember, anything that you do routinely can become a ritual and lose its meaning. That doesn't mean you're backslidden or, you, or you're not saved because that happens in a service or two. But it does mean that the, that humanity around us, a lot of people that we perceive as to be Christians because they go to church and say certain things, is really no sign that they are. So when Jesus came into this world, he came into a time where his own nation was so corrupted. The leadership was completely corrupted now they were very dogmatic about the law and about keeping the old covenant and jesus said you 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 go to all of this nth degree to make sure you line up with with every little jot and tittle every little uh you tithe on the smallest uh, amounts of uh, of uh, of of uh, of uh uh things he said, but then you omit mercy and justice. What Israel did not know was that the person, the person who had cut covenant with Abraham was standing before them. The very God of the Old Testament who gave the law that they worshiped. They didn't worship God, they worshiped the law. And what they didn't realize was the very God who gave them the law was standing in front of them. And they had no perception. Instead, they hated him. Why did they hate them? Because he told them, he told us why. He said, you are of your father, the devil. And the deeds and the passions of the devil is what you will do. They were sold out in sin and in rebellion against God. And it was a supernatural demonic hatred. The leaders of Israel hated Jesus so badly. They hated the sound of his name. It was, like I said, it was a supernatural hatred. Beyond reason, beyond, there was no reason He was no threat to them. All he did was go about and set people free. He never spoke a a word against the law or the prophets. And yet they hated him. God talked about this in, this is not really part of my message, but I'll go here real briefly. Go back to Genesis Go back to Genesis. I won't spend a lot of time on this, but go back to Genesis chapter two. Excuse me, Genesis chapter four. I think that's where it is. No, chapter, chapter three. After Adam and Eve had sinned, Verse number, this is Genesis 3 15. I will put enmity, that's hatred, between you and the woman and and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head. He's talking to the devil, he's talking to Satan. He, this seed, which is Christ, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. You shall bruise his head. This is what Jesus did. When he was made alive, after he had been crucified, and he was in the tomb when he was made alive and, and was and, and had been raised up from the dead, he absolutely bruised the devil's head. That that's a Hebraism for conquering someone. He said, This seed will one day conquer you, Satan. But then he said, You will bruise his heel. That's also a Hebraism for uh, assaulting someone and causing trouble to someone. It's not the same thing as bruising the head. Bruising the heel is not nearly as dramatic, but it's still not a good thing either. The heel is the church. The heel it would refer to the followers of Christ. His own children, his own people, his own company. And this is why the church has been hated and persecuted down through the years. In different places of the world, the church has suffered terrible persecution from the devil. But, but he's only bruising our heel. He's still under our feet, glory to God. Oh, glory to God. I might get a bruise on my heel, but I can still walk. Glory to God. I can still walk on the devil's head. He can he can try to, he can try to, to bump up against me and bruise the bottom of my heel, but I still have the name of Jesus. Glory to God. Almost got it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. <laughs> Flying papers here. Let's talk about this real quick. What is it about Jesus that makes him and every man who believes in him different? What is it? You can read Shakespeare. Now, I've never been a real lover of Shakespeare, but when I read it, I like it. Shakespeare, the the way Shakespeare and other great poets, but particularly I think of Shakespeare, when I read Shakespeare's words, it's, they're lofty. And, and they make me think, and 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 sort of trans, translate me to a little bit of a different place intellectually. Just there's just something about it, and and the words are powerful. But at the end of the day, when I get through reading it, I'm still me. And people down through the centuries have followed the words, and and and. and uh, hung upon the words of poets like Shakespeare and some of the other great poets. And they are marvelous words, but they don't have the ability to change a human heart. When a person finishes reading Shakespeare and, and, and is through with all of the grandiose concepts and, and forms of speech and how he says things, when it's all over and done and close the book, there's still a murderer in their heart. They're still a thief. They're still a liar. They're still an adulterer. They're still, they're still the same person they were. And it's true with all of the great uh, philosophers over time. You can read uh, the different philosophers that have come and gone over the years. And when I was younger, I did like to read a little bit of philosophy and I was sort of amazed with it and 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 taken with it, but it didn't change my nature. But there's something about Jesus there's something about him that's unlike any other man. There's something about his words. Remember when, when the religious leaders sent uh, the officers to take Jesus, they returned and, and the leaders, Pharisees, they said, "Why didn't you bring him?" He said, "No one ever spoke like this man. No one has ever no one has ever spoken like Jesus because his word there, when a person receives the Lord Jesus as Savior, crowns him as Lord of their life, a change comes into that person's life that's undeniable, even by people all around. Liars begin to to tell the truth. Thieves stop stealing. The adulterer and the adulteress become a faithful and chaste husbands and wives and begin to raise families in a way that glorifies God. The murderous heart, the person who is, who is, who, who has no compassion upon humanity is changes completely and begins to have compassion and show love for people. That is not possible through following any other person than the Lord Jesus Christ because he changes the human heart. Glory to God. You cannot embrace Jesus as your savior without experiencing a miracle in your heart. And this is the central miracle of Christmas. It's the basic miracle of Christianity. is the incarnation of Jesus Christ in the flesh joining with man. But the incarnation was just the beginning of the story. Or right, let me say it like this. The, the, the conception and the birth of Christ was just the beginning of the story of the incarnation. Because what good would it have done if Jesus, according to the Christmas story, everything unfolded just like we know it unfolded. God would supernaturally, the Holy Spirit would overshadow this virgin and the, the, the holy child that would be born of her would be, would be human by virtue of Mary but divine by virtue of the Holy Spirit. That would have been a wonderful thing. That would have been a wonderful demonstration. He would have produced and and lived a wonderful life. It would have been a great testimony. But if that's all there is to it, all of the people in Jesus' day, they saw his miracles. They witnessed his, his life. They said no one ever spoke like he did. But if Jesus... Had come and gone. You remember, don't you, that no one in Jesus' day got saved. Not one person got saved. When Jesus left this earth, there was not a person who was different because of his life. It wasn't until people began to believe upon him. This was the genius of the incarnation when you and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, and like I said, we crowned him as Lord over all of our lives, something happened on the inside and it was an incarnation. Now don't get flaky on me. It wasn't the incarnation, capital I, but it was an incarnation, little I. Because God joined on the inside of us We were born again as a child of God. We are united with deity just like Jesus was when he was born, when he was conceived of a virgin and became a man, deity joined humanity. When we got born again, our humanity joined his deity. Glory to God. Ooh, glory to God the miracle of the of the birth of Christ the, the, the whole story that we read is not just about what happened in Bethlehem, it's what happened in your bedroom, it's what happened at a church when you bowed your knee and received the Lord Jesus, that's the fulfillment of the incarnation right there that's where it becomes real, that's where it becomes powerful, that's where it becomes life changing, is when we enter into that and we partake of that incarnation glory to God There's nothing like it in all of this world. Whoo, glory to God. My Lord, what he did. Oh, that's why the angels came down and sang. They saw something unfolding that they couldn't even comprehend. But there was just their, just their innate knowledge of God caused them. They knew somehow that something was taking place that was unlike anything that had ever taken place before. And it was more than just the birth of Christ. It was God's goodwill yeah. declared to mankind that the earth would never again be the same because God would raise up an entire Nation, spiritual nation, an entire family who have the same union with God that Jesus has with man. Oh, glory to God. Well, praise the Lord. Glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. What God did and still does, he became one with man. This is what makes this life With its sometimes burdens, sorrows, and griefs. Angela's family is experiencing this right now. This is is what makes this life. Let me say again what I wrote here. This is what makes this life with its burdens, sorrows, and grief, which culminates in death, tolerable. This is what makes our lives that ends one day in death, unless the Lord returns first, What makes it tolerable? Because every man, like Jesus told Nicodemus, who receives Christ is born from above. When Jesus said you must be born again, he literally said in the Greek, it reads, You must be born from above. Hallelujah. When eternal life comes into our spirits, we become aware that our bodies will one day put on immortality just like Christ go with me real quick and I'll close with this scripture go over to first Corinthians chapter 15 first Corinthians 15 hallelujah but now Christ is risen from the dead verse 20 and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep you know what first fruits means that means the first part there's more to follow now, Christ is risen, is risen from the dead and has become the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. But each one after his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterwards those who are Christ at his coming. Let's drop on down and let's look at verse. 45, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. And as was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those who are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Glory to God. And when in verse 53, it says, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruptible, incorruption, and when this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, grave, O oh, Hades, where is your victory? The strength of, of death is sin and uh, the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This union that we've experienced with God, this incarnation that has taken place, it's a a heavenly incarnation of of us being united with God, becoming one with God. Like I said before, this is the thing that, that, that gives meaning to all of our lives makes everything we experience in life every negative thing every test every trial it gives it gives it gives context to it because we know one day glory to god this corruption is going to put on incorruptibility this mortal is going to put on immortality and we're going to have we're going to be raised up with a body just like his glory to God when we will rule and reign forever we sang this morning and we should that he's the king and he reigns forever I can't sing that song without thinking yeah and we're reigning with him glory to God and one day we will reign over all of the earth glory to God oh hallelujah praise God you haven't figured it out by now, God is just a whole lot smarter than we are. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I pulled something out of a book here I wanted to read, but I pulled the wrong thing. <laughs> it's not the page I wanted, so I'm not gonna read it. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The book I was reading out of is falling Apart, so all the pages are, are just crumbling. So I thought I had a really good page. May I read it next week? Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Isn't the Lord good? Hallelujah. Joy to the world. The Lord has come. Glory to God. Let's stand up. Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Father, we're so grateful for the birth of Christ. We're so grateful, Father, that you didn't send your son with a conquering army. But you sent him as a baby. Hallelujah. The one writer I was gonna read after this morning, as you well know, Lord, but I'll just say this for the church's sake. This writer talked about how we conceive of God. And people can have all kinds of ideas of God, but without the knowledge of Christ, they cannot understand your heart and your nature. And because men do not know your heart, they're often, most of the time, resistant to you and defy you because they're acquainted with so much trouble and grief. But when they come to picture your heart as revealed in this baby of Bethlehem that you brought to this earth, that you deposited in the womb of a virgin, the same heart but was so tender and innocent and vulnerable, even though we lived a life of majesty, just... 33 years later, laid his life down on the cross. Father, when people see you through Christ, through his birth, his life, and and that broken heart that hung on the cross, that's what compels people to follow him. Oh, glory to God. It's the thing that's changed our lives, Father. I might have a problem. I might have had a problem giving my heart to a God of omnipotence. But I gave my heart to a God of love and tenderness and sorrow and pain. A God who was willing to lay everything down for me. Father, I pray that during this Christmas season that you'll help us, Lord, to exemplify this knowledge of God. The knowledge of him not as the supreme one that rules in judgment, but as the one that comes with a broken heart to offer his own life in salvation to those who will just humble themselves. And become a baby in his hand. Father, help us to to give the correct and accurate picture of Christ. Everywhere we go, Father. So that more people can experience the real miracle of the incarnation. When it takes place in their own heart. Glory to God. That's our prayer today, Father. Glory to God. Joy, joy, joy to the world. Glory to God. Help us, Father, be the bearers, to be the bearers of that joy and of that good news, Father, in Jesus' name. Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching.